Hello to everybody out in the Potiverse. I don't I don't know if that's an actual word, but I I just made it one. So um, anybody that is listening to this, I consider you a part of the Potiverse. And I am so grateful that you are with me today. We are going to be covering a highly controversial question that if you've ever been diagnosed with cancer will probably come up for you. And this question is, does sugar feed cancer? So I have some feelings on this. I've been doing research on it and it's interesting because there is much evidence going in many directions and I have my own experiences with the question and with the approach. And uh, yeah, I just want to kind of get into the the nuts and bolts of it, tell, talk a little bit about the history of the theory and you know what other studies have come about that have changed the ideas of the theories because originally this was a, a concept that came out in the 1920s. And um, yeah, so we will be talking about that today. I'm, I'm literally dedicating a whole episode. I was going to do a Q&A episode, but then I was like, you know what? This needs its own thing. So it's going to get it. And uh, what else is going on? I uh, am packing for my move to Portland, which I am extremely excited about. I am feeling a little bit of bittersweet energy because there are so many lovely people that I enjoy here in Los Angeles. I do love LA more so than I think I ever have. This go round has been so incredible and I am going to miss the energy of Los Angeles and the ambition of these people here and just how many dreams live here. It's it's pretty cool. I know a lot of people make fun of LA, but I personally think LA is awesome. And I will be excited up in Oregon. There, I have a big announcement. I can't quite make it just yet, but... By the next episode, I do believe I will be able to tell you some big news for me and my career. And also, what else, what else, what else? Um, Yeah, I've just been watching YouTube videos of Portland and all the cool stuff that's out there, as well as just being excited about the awesome friends I have up there, the beauty. I'm so excited to be somewhere that's lush and green and cozy. (laughs) LA has been so hot and I don't have a pool where I live, which is all good, but you know, it's hot. It's hot, but I'm getting tan, which I love. I feel like I need to stock up on the tanness because it's not going to be like that (laughs) in Oregon. But anyway, I so appreciate you being here. I so appreciate the people that have been writing to me, letting me know about uh, what resonates with you with the podcast and also sending me questions. So please know if you have sent me questions, I will be doing a Q&A. I just felt like this particular Q needed a longer A, needed its own A. <laughs> so it's getting it. And 
let's get into the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Tata Cancer Podcast, where we will discuss the physical and mental elements of healing from a breast cancer diagnosis. My name is Junie Boucher. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a breast cancer survivor. When you're diagnosed with breast cancer, you're forced to make life-changing decisions with so much information that's really hard to sift through. My intention is to help provide you with the information you need to make a decision that's going to align your body, mind, and heart so that you can live your best life going forward. I'm gonna be your new breast friend. Okay, let's do this. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. Please always consult with your doctor for any of your medical needs. Okay, so before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode, let's just take a collective deep breath because people get so upset about this, or at least they do on social media. And I don't totally understand why, but I guess food is just so emotional and so personal. Nobody likes to be told what they can and cannot eat. It's like a caged animal. And especially when you are stressed out, if someone takes away a self-soothing method that you feel is working for you in that moment, it can be very maddening so that is my I don't know that's why I guess I assume people get so mad about this I just think it's just science and ideas so I don't take it personally even though I love sugar just as much as anybody else and I struggle with it but through time and eating a well-formulated diet I don't crave it so much but let us talk about where this whole idea comes from Anyway, and I would like to read an excerpt from the book, The Metabolic Approach to Cancer. This is actually from the foreword that was written by Dr. Kelly Turner, who is a the author of Radical Remission. If you haven't read that, it is quite an amazing book. Very interesting. So she says, there was... A big aha moment for me during my initial years of research into radical remission as part of my PhD at University of California, Berkeley. I had never really bought into the prevailing theory that cancer cells were simply healthy cells that for some unknown reason started behaving badly. Instead, I believe that there is an explanation for everything in this world, including why healthy cells begin to act in a cancerous manner. The metabolic theory of cancer which was first introduced by Otto Warburg in the 1920s and for which he was awarded the Nobel Prize, claims that damage to a cell's mitochondria is what causes a cell to behave cancerously. This explanation made sense to me because I knew from basic biology that the mitochondria are the factories of the cell in charge of producing energy through aerobic respiration and of telling the cell when to reproduce and when to die. A cancerous cell does the exact opposite. It reproduces when it shouldn't, forgets to die when it should, and gets its energy from glucose instead of oxygen, anaerobic respiration. So... Hopefully that was simple 
enough, but basically they're just saying that you know cancer really loves glucose and further evidence of that is like if you go in for a pet scan they're gonna give you like glucose so that the cancer cells light up and are visible on the pet scan they just kind of like go crazy Um, now this theory though is controversial because a lot of cancer research is very conflicting in in terms of what the causes mitochondrial failure. So for example, you know, some evidence shows that viruses cause cancer. This is evident with the HPV virus and cervical cancer. Um, Bacteria can cause cancer as which the H. pylori bacteria and stomach cancer, helicobacter pylori, and as well as toxins, nicotine and lung cancer has obviously had a strong correlation. Radiation can cause cancer, genetic mutations, trauma, stress. All of these things have been shown to potentially lead to mitochondrial failure. But I do think that one of the reasons why this is such an important thing to acknowledge and some people say that it's been debunked but i don't really think it's been debunked because you can't argue that sugar is good for cancer and specifically with breast cancer there are several reasons why a low sugar diet is important so beyond the fact that Cancer cells, yes, they do feed on glucose. If you deprive them of glucose, though, they can eat other sources. Glutamine is actually another source of fuel for cancer cells. And glutamine is something, it's a non-essential amino acid, which means that the body can actually produce it. It's kind of a unique one. Healthy cells require glutamine, but it can also feed cancer. So it's not as simple as just eliminating it from your diet or eliminating it through drugs because that can cause problems. So that's complicated. But you know, if you do want to avoid things that a normal non-cancer treat treated person might really benefit from, like bone broth or red meat, these are things that do contain high levels of glutamine. But the body is really good at regulating glutamine levels just on its own. So simply eliminating it from your diet isn't usually something that is brought up. Now going back to the sugar part. So one of the main reasons why sugar can be so bad for cancer is because sugar causes obesity, insulin dysregulation, Um, And obesity is, or fat cells, contrary to popular belief, are not actually just sort of dormant sources of fuel. They actually serve as almost like hormones. They do transmit signals throughout the body. They regulate inflammation levels. And inflammation as I've discussed on the podcast before, is a normal healthy process in the body for things like a cut. Um, what else? I don't know, maybe a stomach issue. They even acute stress, you know, if, if or blood clotting, things like that. You want 
some inflammation or, or like, okay, here's a good example. When you're working out and you're lifting weights, you know, you, you get some muscle tearing and then you have inflammation that comes in and then it repairs, everything repairs. When you're sick, that is how your body allows you to get better. Those, those symptoms are inflammatory responses. So a little bit of inflammation is good. Chronic inflammation, however, can lead to damage. And that's the type of damage that cancer cells can prey upon and then create this mitochondrial failure that can lead to cancer. So obesity is a very well-known contributor to cancer and specifically with breast cancer, especially if you have a hormonally driven breast cancer, that can affect your estrogen levels. So it is important to keep your fat to muscle ratio at a healthy level. Uh, And this is one of the reasons why many people follow a ketogenic diet, which is also super controversial for many people. You know, keto can be a very therapeutic thing. I mean, it, it was born as a therapeutic diet to treat epilepsy and and had some incredible results. Brain cancer can respond well to a ketogenic, like a therapeutic ketogenic diet, not like a just eat as much bacon and cheddar cheese as you possibly can stand kind of diet. (laughs) We're talking about, you know, really high quality fats, high quality proteins, anti-inflammatory types of foods. But if you're just a a normal person dealing with, I don't know, let's say like an early stage breast cancer, a strict ketogenic protocol may be a little extreme. The, The benefit of a ketogenic diet is that it is extremely effective at burning fat and it is highly satiating. So one of the major issues with the typical calories in, calories out model is that it activates a lot of your hunger hormones if you're chronically under eating. And with a ketogenic diet, you can eat, well, you're you're getting fuel for your body from your own fat stores. So not only are you fueled, but you also are producing ketones. Ketones are anti-inflammatory. They are also highly, they are have an appetite suppressing quality. They're really good for the brain. I am not super strict about it. I, I would say I follow more of a cyclical ketogenic diet or really more of a low carb diet nowadays, but I am somebody that is extremely sensitive to carbohydrates. I just, they make me very tired. I will gain weight. I can't stop eating. They cause my hunger hormones to really go out of control. And also with a ketogenic diet, I just feel this clarity of mind and this really balanced mood that helps me just power through my day. I feel like it keeps me really fresh and it also very much lowers my appetite so I can make smart choices. I'm not coming from this place of being hangry. So I, I love a ketogenic diet, but I personally feel like women, especially in middle age, benefit best from more of a cyclical ketogenic diet. And if you are in, you know, just 
due to hormone fluctuations and the need to minimize stress on the body and not deplete your body of the necessary means to create hormone harmony and balance and all that good stuff. But if you are, let's say you're newly diagnosed, you're super stressed out and you're freaked out and you, you don't want to eat any sugar because you've heard all this information about sugar feeding cancer and maybe you are overweight, jumping into a ketogenic diet can be more stress on your body and that is counterproductive. So if you've already come into a situation eating a low-carb diet, it may be super easy to slip into a ketogenic diet and that might be great. And it also can be calorie dense and nutrient dense if you eat, you know, lots of vegetables, things like salmon or um, other fatty but clean protein sources and also are eating clean fats, like really good quality olive oil or lots of avocados, good nuts, things like that that will fuel your body, give you a lot of energy when you may not have the ability to eat a lot of food. However, just be aware, yeah, again, I just want to emphasize that if making an extreme dietary change is going to be stressful, which it would be for almost anybody, if that's a total 180 from where you're eating, I personally would recommend eating more of a balanced diet and just making sure that you're not eating naked carbs or refined carbohydrates. Do you have to avoid fruit? Um, If you're on a ketogenic diet, you might want to, but let's just kind of let that part go. Thinking about how to fuel the body from a sugar-free approach. Again, very personal, very individual based on your personal situation, your personal preferences, your ability to cook, all those factors. I think the easiest approach is to just try to eat a balanced diet, emphasizing vegetables and trying to minimize toxins. You want to have fiber in your diet. You want to have healthy fats and you want to have clean sources of protein as opposed to running to sugar and refined carbohydrates, cakes, cookies, all these things that sometimes we go to when we're feeling really stressed that are going to cause this blood sugar spike. So think of what your grandma would feed you or that you'd eat at your grandma's house and like back in the day. Um, that for me is a good reference point. And just remember and a theory or not a theory, a metaphor I like to explain to my clients is that if you think of blood sugar like a balloon, so let's say you were going to eat some pineapple as opposed to just eating pineapple, which is not bad, have some pineapple with maybe a, a couple macadamia nuts and, um, Yeah, or have like an apple with some nut butter that's going to give you this this fiber, a little tiny bit of a bit of protein, a little bit of fat. Um, But if you're eating a meal, just think about building around the protein and 
having a balance of carbohydrates and fats and going as close as possible to a whole food source as you can. So minimally processed, organic, if possible. And yeah, what is, what is, what tastes good? If you aren't eating at all, that's equally kind of an issue. You need to try and get some food into your system. So you're able to heal, you're able to fight. And usually there's a cumulative effect. I mean, it's very common to have high levels of anxiety and and sometimes that manifests for people as a loss of appetite. I get it. I get it. But once you start eating and you see your energy levels rise, you will probably get hungry again. And uh, that should be helpful. So think about that. And yeah, this is going to be kind of a short episode today because I just feel like this needed its own this needed its own episode. So we're would you call this a mini episode? I'm just going to call it, you know, just a shorty. I'm a shorty. I'm 5'1", if you don't already know that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a shorty. Um, sometimes shorties are really good. I fit in a lot of small spaces. So yes. Everyone agrees in terms of cancer nutrition, increased vegetables, decreased toxins, but also remember to fuel the body for healing. And part of that comes with protein. So if you are going to do a vegetarian diet, I would highly recommend having a professional to kind of guide you through it and formulate it well. Same goes with a ketogenic diet. You don't want to just eat a bunch of cheese and bacon. That actually would not be an ideal cancer diet at all. You would probably lose a lot of body fat, but it's, you know, dairy, red meat, nitrates, all of those things are not super, not super um, emphasized on a, a cancer, a cancer, anti-cancer diet. So I hope this episode made sense. And uh, if you have other questions, I will be doing a more general Q&A episode to cover these other questions that came in. But as always, find me on Instagram or TikTok at Junie Be Well, where I talk a lot about what to eat um, and other little tidbits of information There are some clinical trials going on right now really looking at how to potentially eliminate the the uptake of glucose and glutamine by cancer cells, but these things do take time. Um, There are some great accounts that you can check to see what some of these updates are. I'll I'll link to some of those. I'll link to the research articles that I referenced. If you want to go more in depth with the science behind these ideas and do some reading on your own, because some people might disagree with what I said here today. And what else? Yeah. On my website, I have a lot of free resources I just want to emphasize again that I have the breast cancer grounding kit. There's a great, really balanced soup recipe in that that you can eat. There is also the 
Tamoxifen Facts and Feelings workbook, which helps you if you are looking at hormone suppression therapy, what to think about as you're making your choice or if you're super tormented by that decision, it'll help you hopefully get some clarity. Those are all on my website. We'll link to the show notes. Check out the guided meditations that are free that I've posted on Insight Timer. I've been doing those. And, um, you know, yeah, feel free to reach out to me. Instagram is usually my most active, I would say, but you can email me through my website. People get to me that way. My direct email is junie at juniebewell.com. And please, 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 if I can ask for a favor, please, you know, put a positive review of the podcast if you're enjoying it at all, you're getting anything out of it. It just really helps other people find the podcast. And um, yeah, it helps me know what's resonating with you. So I have had such an awesome time talking at you today. And um, I hope you are having a wonderful start to your summer. Is it officially summer yet? I don't think it is. But have a great, great time until we talk again. And as always, I am wishing you well.